Finishes, beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. And when Paul says that, he has a whole lifetime of treachery to be left behind, of brokenness, of violence against the followers of the way, of the followers of Jesus. Paul was one who stood there and watched the coats for a group of people who surrounded young Stephen, the first Christian martyr, so that they could, they could, you know, they could, the coat wouldn't restrict their ability to throw stones at Stephen and kill him. And Paul stood by and nodded his approval. And Paul says, I forgot about all that. I don't remember it. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call in Christ Jesus. So here we are again, uh, another landowner story. It seems as though we've been on a farm or in a vineyard uh, each week during this stretch in Matthew's gospel, the story this morning is jolting uh, in, a, in a time when we are saturated with news of violence. Uh, we might have hoped that if we followed the lectionary, we might be given uh, a reprieve. But uh, there is violence even in this story that Jesus tells a landowner leases out his vineyard to some tenants, and come harvest time, uh, he sends his servants to collect uh, the proceeds from the harvest, and the tenants beat and murder the first delegation and then the next, at which point the owner of the vineyard decides, if I send my own son, uh, if someone comes from the owner's family, surely they will fear and respect that. But the tenants, of course, murder the son as well. And at this point in the narrative, Jesus asks the listeners, what do you think this landowner will do to these homicidal tenants when he comes back to his vineyard? And they answer in a predictable roar and rage, he will give them what they have coming. He will put them to a miserable death. Violence begets violence. And this treachery demands righteousness, which can only be found in a proper vengeance. This parable, of course, can be read as a pure allegory, right? Allegorically, the landowner in the story is God. The vineyard stands for Jerusalem or maybe all of all of Israel. Uh, the wicked tenants are the powers that be, right? Those who have been named by Matthew, the Pharisees and the scribes and the chief priests and the elders. Earlier in the same chapter of Matthew, we're told that these are the powers that be that Jesus is talking to. These are the folks he's addressing these very pointed parables to. 
And this is just leading up to the crucifixion. So once again, this is one gutsy story to, for Jesus to be telling. So back to the allegory, the slaves which the landowner sends uh, the first two times probably stand for the Old Testament prophets who were so often put to death for bringing the word of God. Uh, or maybe it could even refer to John the Baptist, who just several months before had been put to death. And finally, there is the landowner's son. Clearly, this would refer to Jesus. And this is a, a solid allegorical way to read this story and understand it and derive meaning from it. There's another way to hear the story. It's suggested when Jesus sums up the meaning of the parable. He does it a couple of times so that uh, it is perfectly clear. He says the bottom line of the story is the produce at harvest time. The second time what Jesus says what matters is to produce fruits of the kingdom. When we focus on the unmerited, the unwarranted, even the unexpected grace of God, which we so often do, that does not mean that we are unconcerned about our own response to this grace. What evidence is there in our lives that we have, in fact, been somehow changed or transformed by God's grace? What has this graciousness produced? As we celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, we are reminded that our Lutheran heritage is built on the belief that theology matters. The content of our belief system makes a profound difference. But what we think intellectually is not exactly what matters most. An inspiring place to worship, to gather, a functioning church building is important. You have to have a real world place where you can gather, where the kids can meet for Sunday school, but, but buildings in the end are not what matter most. Meaningful worship, relevant prayers and liturgy, faithful preaching, great music, it's all an essential part of the mix. But finally, Sunday morning worship is not what matters most. What do all of these things produce? The fruit, the harvest is you and me and, 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 and who we are in this world. The harvest is you and I struggling to make a difference, working to remake the world into a place that is less painful, less cruel, less hateful, less violent. The church responds with aid and compassion and prayer as grief upon grief piles up in our world with hurricanes and earthquakes and fires and floods and now another act of homegrown terrorism by gun violence 
perpetrated on an innocent crowd attending an outdoor concert in Las Vegas. Young and old, parents, families broken, unspeakable violence, brokenness, tragedy. A very popular voice among mainline church leaders is Canadian pastor, author, speaker, Carrie Newoff. Well before this current massacre in Las Vegas, Pastor Newoff wrote an article entitled, How to Be the Church in an Age of Terror and Tragedy. In that article, again written way before the Las Vegas tragedy, Newoff writes, Doubtless the church is in an era of deep change. Given the rise of terror and violence in the West, the days of playing church or simply going to church are drawing to a close. This is the time to be the church. Because what Christians have to offer is a radically different ethic, an alternative to hatred and violence. The gospel is needed in our culture and it's being lost in the noise. You can debate parts of scripture all you want, but one thing that is undeniable is that Jesus said his followers would be known by their love. This, more than anything, is what Christians need to be known for. Families need this love. Victims need this love. Perpetrators need this love. Children need this love. The gospel moves us to love when all that is left is hate. So what we are doing again here this Sunday, not just in response to what happened, but in advance of what might happen next. Pastor Newoff wrote before the Las Vegas massacre, what we are doing this Sunday not just in response to what happened, but in advance of what might happen next is so important. Our culture needs the love found in Jesus more than ever. What we're doing for us right now matters more than you realize as the gospel spreads from person to person, from community to community, from life to life, nation to nation, we are transformed. Preach the love of Christ like you are changing the world, he wrote, because you are. You and I, alone and together, the church can and do make a difference in this world. I've seen it over a period of many years. If I did not believe that Christ and this faith of ours can make a real difference, I would have moved on to something else long ago. I'm not sure what exactly, but something. If all this Sunday church stuff makes no creative, positive difference in the nitty-gritty, go to work, take care of the kids, earn a living, day-to-day lives that we lead, then it would be a waste of time. But it does make a difference. A profound difference And I've experienced it.
The Apostle Paul had long believed the point of religious faith was to prove yourself righteous. Without God's grace, there were two main ways to attain this righteousness. Two main ways, birthright and behavior. To illustrate this, Paul uses himself as a kind of example. On both counts, Paul claims that he has more reason to boast than anyone else. He lists seven advantages he could claim uh, in the reading from Philippians that Mike read for us. The first four advantages are birthright. They are inherited. In other words, they come uh, as a birthright so that if you, if you don't have them, you can't get them. And, and those are uh, the first four. Paul says he's a member of the house of God's covenant people, cir- circumcised on the eighth day. Second one, he's an Israelite by birth with all the rights and privileges, a member of the house of Israel. Paul hails from one of the two tribes, Benjamin and Joseph, considered to be faithful to the covenant. That's the third one. The fourth one, he's a son of Hebrew parents with no Gentile uh, contamination. He is a Hebrew of Hebrews. If righteousness comes by birthright, then Paul is telling us he's got it covered. But of course, that leaves most of us out. But he goes on. The last three advantages that Paul lists are, are achievements. They go to behavior. He practices strict observance of the law. A Pharisee of Pharisees. Remember, the Pharisees recognized and followed 613 laws. He exhibits avid devotion to God. As to zeal, he said of himself, a persecutor of the church. He's above reproach. He said, as to righteousness under the law, Paul claimed, blameless. If righteousness demands are either won by birthright or behavior, then Paul is in, and you and I sitting here this morning are out. But then Paul throws it all away. Whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as lost because of Christ, he says. More than that, I regard everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that would be the behavior side, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Paul finishes, Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. And when Paul says that, he has a whole lifetime of treachery to be left behind, of brokenness, of violence against the followers of the way, of the followers of Jesus. Paul was one who stood there and watched the coats for a group of people who surrounded young Stephen, the first Christian martyr, so that they could, they could, you know, they could, the coat wouldn't restrict their ability to throw stones at Stephen and kill him. And Paul stood by and nodded his approval. And Paul says, I forgot about all that. I don't remember it. 
Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call in Christ Jesus. The unmerited grace of God had knocked Paul on his backside and forgiven him a treacherous past. This promise drove him forward, inspired him to live out a new identity that was given to him, the one we celebrate in the waters of baptism this morning. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Carrie Newoff said, the days of playing church or simply going to church are drawing to a close. This is the time to be the church. And we remember today that the answer to Jesus' question, what do you think the owner of that vineyard will do when he goes to face those tenants? And the ones hearing that parable yelled out, he'll, he'll put him to a miserable death. That while they were interpreting the meaning of that story together, Jesus was moving toward that cross where he would take the worst violence the world could muster. He would succumb to the worst treachery human beings can dream up on that cross and answer his own question by saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And on the third day, rise again and go looking for the very ones who betrayed him and deserted him and find his disciples locked away in fear and say to them, peace I give to you, breathing on them the Holy Spirit. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. The days of playing church, of going to church, are drawing to a close. The time has come to be the church because this world is dying for the lack of God's grace and mercy. You having received it, having been claimed by it, having been forgiven, are the ones sent out to bring it into this world and it makes all the difference.